When aspects of a complex case exceed your personal expertise, you bring in a co-counsel to add the specific insight your firm needs for next-level results. Marketing in the legal industry requires complex strategy and insight far beyond anything you learned in law school. Want more for your law firm? Time to bring in a marketing co-counsel. Welcome to CounselCast. I'm your host, Karin Conroy, your marketing co-counsel. In every episode, I discuss marketing topics with experts who answer your questions and help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hey, I'm Michelle Calcote-King. I am the principal and president of Reputation, Inc. We are a public relations and content marketing agency for professional services firms, primarily corporate law firms, also architecture firms, engineering firms, and construction. So those are our two markets, but we are probably about 70% focused on the law. And we help law firms and lawyers build their brand visibility through thought leadership, getting them quoted in the media, securing them bylined articles, promoting their litigation wins, their matters. And then we also do a lot of content development. So writing case studies and any kind of email copy, newsletters, that kind of thing, any, all centered around thought leadership. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate this. I feel like this is such an important topic and I have had so many clients who are looking for this kind of work and either have a hard time articulating it to begin with, and then also a hard time figuring out whether it's it's worthwhile. So our big question that we're going to cover today that I know you have so much information on is how do you measure PR and basically the results of all this work that you're doing for these firms? And then we're going to talk even more specifically about the kind of measurement that can be really analytical and and you've written some cool articles about this. So I'm excited to get into this and get into the kind of analytical side of measuring PR and the reach and how firms can really understand if they're tackling their PR in an effective way. Yeah, it's a good question. So PR is one of those things that can be frustrating for some and that it's not as directly measurable as uh, let's say uh, digital marketing is. Digital marketing, um, the beauty of digital marketing is you can really track a, a, a user's path through various content on your website. You can measure it by number of page views, downloads, that kind of thing, and then really kind of see how an interested person becomes a client and look at those analytics. Whereas PR, you one, you're dealing with a third-party media outlet, so you don't have those kind of analytics. But it's also measurement, is it can be nebulous. It's often PR people measure their work in number of media hits, impressions, how many people looked at an article, article, there's advertising equivalency and that kind of thing. So having been in PR for you know two decades, I know it works. I know it works for my clients' brands, but I'm always looking for good research that is very solid research that speaks directly to how does this help grow a, a business? Yeah. Has it impact the bottom line? And I did, I wrote an article about maybe about a year ago, because I'd seen some research came come out by, it was the LinkedIn, uh, the B2B, I think it's the LinkedIn B2B Institute, and they do a lot of good research. And they put out um, a report on a concept called the excess share of voice. And excess I love share this. of this voice. This is so fascinating to me, this excess share of voice. And sorry to 
interrupt, but I just wanted to highlight it. First of all, what is this idea of share of voice and then excess share of voice? Yeah. So share of voice is, is essentially kind of the number of conversations about whatever it is you're measuring, a lawyer, a, a law firm brand. So divided by whatever market. Let's, so let's say you're a bankruptcy attorney in St. Louis. You'd be looking to see, you know, how many times are you mentioned, discussed, featured, within the topic of bankruptcy in St. Louis. So that equates to your share of voice. Um, that's when things like publishing articles, getting quoted, participating on social media heavily is what builds your share of voice. And basically, excess share of voice is just when you're punching above your weight in a particular market. So let's say you only have a 20% market share in terms of your actual revenue and clients, but you capture 30% share of voice, you're punching above your weight and you have an excess share of voice. So it's a little nerdy of a concept, but what they found in the research was in nearly every recorded case, uh, a brand, and that's marketing speak for your law firm's brand, with an excess share of voice will gradually grow the market share to, to match that share of voice. So achieving greater brand visibility online through things like PR and social media, this research found that there's a direct correlation to growth. And for a PR person, that's really exciting because it is one of those things that isn't as directly measurable as digital marketing and advertising, those kind of things can be. As marketers, we all know it works, right. but convincing clients is a different thing. And the, the other thing that was cool about the research was they broke it down by market sectors and they looked at how this concept works in different sectors. And what they found was in professional services, having an excess share of voice actually converts to growth, market share growth at a faster rate than other sectors. So I think it was, and I'd have to look a bit, it was like a 1.8%. That equation would be a 10% extra share of voice leads to a rise in market share by 1.8% per year, all, all other things being held equally. But I don't, most people don't get into that sort of nitty gritty of a analysis, but basically yeah. it's just saying for professional services firms, and it makes sense if you think sure. about it, buying professional services is all about credibility and these kind of thought leadership activities really help build that credibility, which will help the overall brand and will help it grow. So a couple of questions as you were talking. So first of all, how does a firm figure out that first metric of how much of the marketplace that they, so if they're figuring out their share of voice and mm -hmm. they know that they have, you were saying they know that they have a 20% kind of piece of the market. How mm -hmm. do they determine that piece of, to know whether they have the excess on top of that? Right. I'll be honest. I, I wouldn't have a client that this is a kind of an in-depth research report where they really looked at the data, but to find out what your share of voice, you'd have to, you'd have to figure out what you're measuring. So again, it would be a, a particular market. So let's say I'm, I'm sure. measuring my own share of voice. I would PR firms who serve law firms. I would look at probably I'd get a universe of other competitors and then I would see how many times they're mentioned versus I'm mentioned. You know, I'd, I'd kind of get that grouping together. So it's a complicated measurement because you're looking at all these different avenues and it could be variable depending on how you really prioritize that information right. too. I mean, there yeah. could be a priority of I'm really active in like th this certain organization and that's mm -hmm. a huge piece of you know my speaking and everything so I'm going to prioritize that as being yeah. a high percentage of where you know my voice is being shared and so uh, I could see that being a number where people see some variation in that but that makes sense and then 
So are you seeing that when people are figuring out how to share their voice, are there certain areas where they're finding more success, where it's all those different avenues that you were discussing? It could be social media, it could be PR news articles, it could be all the different things that or a firm could right, do could with do. their PR. Yeah. Are there certain areas or is it really specific for the firm? When I'm counseling law firms, it's often what works for a particular law lawyer's skill set, their interests, their affinity, and then it depends on the type of practice often. So there's a mix of things you know you can do to grow your share of voice. The top one would be being published in the media. And for lawyers who serve a variety of industries, those industries, especially industry publications, are looking for insights into various issues. They're looking for a legal expert who can break down topics, who can provide that kind of thought leadership content or insights. Um, they want that somebody who's in the trenches but can give that legal insight. So that's an ideal way. So publishing bylined articles. But then also just being quoted on topics that you can provide some sort of analysis and insight. There are legal issues happening every day, and you'll see when something happens that suddenly there's a flood of experts commenting on it the next day. Um, so that's a lot of what we do for clients is we are we know um, this immigration attorney wants to be quoted in this particular market. So we are often monitoring to see what, what issues or they're coming to us and saying, you know, this law is gonna be passed or this case happened that is gonna impact other cases. So then we're giving the media these attorneys and saying, hey, if you need someone to, to help provide some analysis or break this down for you, here's this person and here's why they're uh, the right person to talk to. So that's the media relations side. So being published and being quoted, but you can also do the more traditional PR, which is putting out press releases on, on actual news, case wins, matters, that kind of thing. And then there's other, uh, there's some, some attorneys that love to blog. So blogging sure. and then taking that content, putting it on uh, various content aggregator sites, using that content to go out and email newsletters. So that's kind of, you know, when you look at the mix of things you can do, there's owned, earned, and that's in the owned category. So sure. it's not, you're not convincing a media outlet to, to publish it. That makes a lot of sense to me as you're describing that where kind of natural strategy as I'm thinking about talking to my clients about it mm -hmm. is to first of all determine which strategy you prefer, number one, and which strategy you've either had success with or you expect to have success with, and then try to have that share of voice for that strategy. Because it, yeah. it almost seems like trying to calculate that number across all possible places that your voice could be is a kind of an overwhelming idea. I mean, you probably could, but it's it's a lot. So saying, okay, I really like this idea of being present in the media. And if you're calculating and kind of following, like you described, that immigration attorney in a certain area, that seems like an area where you could really track, you know, you started here, you had this many shares and you had, you could really track that voice and how the growth has appeared over the time that you're working with them, where you're yeah. focusing in on one area. Yeah. Or even if, if it's a few areas, but you kind of go area by area, like here's mm -hmm. your share of voice on your on your blog and your owned media. And here's your share of voice on on the earned things and tracking it that way. It seems like that to me makes more sense where I could see it in a chart and see how you could see that growth over time. That makes it more clear, I think. And really that research for me, the, what I've used it to show clients is that it's just empirical evidence that these sort of activities work and that they do lead to growth on a, in terms of your bottom line. It's not a just nice to have. 
it is going to lead to revenue growth, which is what we're all trying to do here. And that's the point of hesitation that I get when I'm talking to people about whether they feel like they should do these things. They feel like it's probably a good idea. They see their competition doing it. But at the end of the day, when it comes to actually pulling the trigger and making the decision to do it, it's, well, how is this going to pay off? What am mm-hmm. I going to see? What can I expect? And those are the questions that make them hesitate about actually going forward and, and making those decisions. Yeah. And it's a tough one because these kind of things, one, they are, they can be time consuming, depending on how you end up deciding on your mix and who's going to help you. But two, it takes a while. So it can take a year to really start seeing um, the impacts pay off. But the high level point is, or a phenomenon that's happening is that our lives are now, our business lives are very much so online nowadays. So in the way the online world works, the way Google works is through content and credibility. So you have to play in that game in order to have some sort of visibility. It's a different world than it was, you know, even just 10 years ago. In the same way that you made an effort 10 years ago to go to bar meetings or chamber meetings, this has to happen nowadays because our lives have really, in the pandemic, accelerated that. Our business lies, how we make decisions, how we network are online. And so this is the way Google has decided that the, the people who will rise to the top are those that provide value and provide value through what Google has to offer, which is content. And media outlets are some of the most high authority websites on the internet. You know, Google really rewards uh, you being on a media outlet. And also, so we have two audiences here. We're, We're talking to Google and we're talking to our actual clients. Clients do the same. They use the media to help validate whether someone is credible. That's why all of these things are really important nowadays, even though the PR is less trackable and measurable. It's sort of the reality that we are dealing with today and that to build your firm, you have to engage in. Yeah. And I think going back to the beginning of what you were saying about it takes time, which requires patience, which is not exactly one of my strong suits. But I talk a lot about the patience of it because on the flip side, if you have been doing this for years and years and you have a really established reputation Mm -hmm. and you've got that domain authority and you've been doing all of these things. And I'm often talking about this in terms of SEO, which is it's a similar conversation where you really established your content and you've been working on this for years and years. Then if some new brand new attorney comes along and in a week flips it upside down, that doesn't seem right. It seems like in the old days of networking, like you described, you would go to these bar associations, you would have these relationships that you've had for years and years, and then some new attorney shows up. They're not going to have the same relationship Mm -hmm. with that person that you've known them for years and years, and you shouldn't expect that to happen. So as a new attorney, you have to expect that you have to put in the time and you have to build your reputation. You have to build it up and it will take time. And not everybody wants to hear that, but that's just the way life is. And it was that way before. It was just in a different way. Just in a different way. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It really is. And the, the other thing that I often tell lawyers is this is, you're building an asset. Your online reputation is an asset that it's up to you to create and own, but that will pay off ongoing for many years. So you've got to build that reputation and you have to do it through posting frequently on LinkedIn, uh, getting quoted and published in the media, uh, writing blog, however way you want to do it, hosting a podcast, putting videos out there. In the end, it's providing value, analyzing issues your clients care about, breaking them down, explaining them, 
informing them, that kind of thing. But that it, it snowballs and yeah. your reputation really starts to pay you in dividends from one clients finding you who are, are ideal clients for you. It simplifies a lot of that new business process because it's very clear the more content you put out that is focused on your niche and focused on your ideal client, the more your ideal client is going to come to you. You're not going to be weeding out clients that aren't good for you. But to it, it follows you in your career. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to say this to law firm leaders, but especially if you're in a younger attorney who wants to build a brand, this is going to follow you throughout your career. So it's, it's especially effective for lawyers. Yeah. And, and it just builds over time. And like mm -hmm. you said, it snowballs. And so the more you're out there, the more it sees it and it's exponential. It's not just right. kind of like one little step at a time. It just continues to grow. And yeah. then that's really how, you know, to bring it all back around, that's how you build that share of voice. And then, right. you know, it, it seems like you really can't get to that excess point until you've really put the work in and first of all, established your, just your share and right. then to figure out where your excess share is going to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. I feel like that is so valuable because I do talk to people on a weekly basis about trying to figure out whether it's worthwhile and if this is still the thing that's happening. And I, I am starting to hear more and more, you know, does content even really matter anymore? And, you know, it's which seems crazy to me. But everybody wants to know, OK, if I'm going to invest this much, what can I expect? And my first answer is always first, you have to start with patience because that right. is, is just a, yeah. a standard requirement. If you were in the past going to go, like we said, to these bar association events, you wouldn't show up thinking, OK, I'm going to this event. What can I expect as I I walk out you know it's like who knows it, it could be a lot of different things but you know over time yeah it's interesting yeah. so the idea of does content even matter anymore what I tell clients is absolutely it does but it's just changed like anything so yes. imagine you you were there when the first ever chamber meeting ever happened your yeah. impact as being a, a member of the chamber of commerce would have been much greater because you were there in the beginning there were only a few um, you really stood out. Fast forward 100 years and chamber meetings are something all your competitors are, are going to, everyone's doing. It's no longer a big deal that you showed up. And it's the same with content. 10 years ago, if you put up a blog or wrote a couple of articles in the media, you had a huge impact very easily. Yeah. And now there's just a lot of competition. So it's forcing... One, it's forcing a couple of things, which is it's forcing people to really kind of think more narrowly and niche. So what is that one particular ideal client that you'd like to work with? Or what's that one expertise area that you want to be known for? And to really focus on that, because otherwise it's hard to get traction by being kind of a generalist. That's uh, Google doesn't reward that, nor do how yeah. we consume content or read the media reward that. We have so much information, we can't process too much. So that's why niche experts really kind of rise to the top. But two, quality, it's kind of forced the hand in terms of quality. You have to deliver quality, valuable information to rise to the top now. So it's not that it's, is it relevant or not anymore? It's just what's the game that we're playing in now and how does it all yeah, work? Yeah, everyone's much more picky. But then mm -hmm. also think about if you had been there 10 years ago, that would have been fantastic. You would have been, mm -hmm. you know, an early adopter, captured all that traffic and had that bigger piece of the pie or your bigger share of voice. But right. also think about you need to start now because right. if you don't start now, then in a year, 
you're going to regret what you didn't do for the past year. Yes, look at what you could have done 10 years ago, but then also think about how happy you'll be in a year if you start now and start building that up, or at least start now to refine it. Maybe you're already doing some of these things, do it better, get out there and kind of capture your piece before somebody else gets it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was super valuable. So last thing, we always like to talk about what everybody is reading and get a valuable book recommendation. So tell us uh, what book you are going to recommend. I am a big fan. So we are at Rep Inc. We're big believers in the power of writing. And it's funny, you'll hear a lot people say, oh, people don't read anymore. And it's actually the complete opposite. Like I was saying, uh, the internet has changed how we consume information. And writing is absolutely, is actually more important than ever before because of how scattered and because of how differently we consume content online. So I always love the book. I love to recommend the book, Everybody Writes by Anne Hanley. And if oh. you don't follow Anne Hanley, she is a phenomenal, um, she puts out a weekly newsletter that's just fantastic. She's kind of a guru in the content world. But I've, I've always been a big believer in the power of great writing. And it can be overlooked sometimes, but then when people see it and they know that it works, it really helps you stand out in the online world. Um, so yeah, especially lawyers, you know, lawyers are trained to write in a very different way than what works for online consumption. Yeah, for most of the world, the for legal the world. language is it's a totally separate language. And yeah, and I have the same conversation where your website is not meant to be written in legal language. You know, that right. is for once you have the client and yeah. all of your marketing pieces are not an example of how you write for a law book or for you know a judge yeah. that that is not what we're doing here. Yeah, it's a tough conversation because lawyers believe that they are, and they are, they're, they're persuading. That's their trade. But the, the way most uh, lawyers have been trained to write is not a good way for, like I said, online readers. And this goes for the most sophisticated client. There's a lot of, I've done a presentation many times where I really delved into legalese and a lot of research around, uh, there was a, a movement called the plain language movement that kind of started more in the financial industry because of how convoluted financial documents were, but then it kind of took hold in other industries. But there's a ton of research around judges, even judges assessment of legal documents that are written in very plain language style versus a much more convoluted style, which is what they teach in law school. And overall, overwhelmingly, the judges find the plain language versions to be much more persuasive and effective. So that's why often I talk to lawyers uh, that Look, in, this is what works for everyone, any audience right. nowadays, yeah. because we are all busy and we're all trying to quickly scan through information, figure out what's relevant, what's important, get to that point to see what we can do with it. And if it's hard to read, that negates the point and, and really yeah. kind of... Uh, so, so It that's puts my, up that's a barrier my... between the the reader and that decision. And exactly. so all of a sudden, the, the words are just getting in the way versus... Exactly doing yeah. that persuasive thing that the lawyer thinks that they're doing when, right. you know, it's like, we don't need the six syllable word. We're good. Just tell me what you are really trying to, you know, how you're trying to affect my emotion at this point. Exactly. So that sounds fantastic. So it was called Everybody, Everybody Writes. writes. I, I knew there was yeah. something about writing. Anne Handley, Everybody <laughs> Writes. We will put a link on the uh, page for the for this show to the book awesome. and, and have the library on the website too. But Everybody Writes, that sounds fantastic and sounds like something truly, I think it's, 
such a critical part of any kind of marketing campaign. If you don't have the right words, it's just not going to work. You can have the most beautiful graphics and everything else going on. But if you're saying the wrong thing, forget it. It's just not going to work. So yeah, great writing is more important than ever before. Exactly. I agree. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode on the CouncilCast podcast. I know that by implementing what you heard today, your law firm will achieve more. Be sure to visit the website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.